All right. Thank you for tuning in to another fun live stream of Jackman Radio. I'm your host, Eric Jackman, and I'm really excited today to be joined by comedian, actress, activist, and all-around cool person, Jennifer Jaje. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. Yeah, it's great to have you on. So uh, like I said before we started and kind of we've been talking back and forth on Twitter and like a month-long email chain because we were both kind of ships in the night. I was about to take off for vacation and you had stuff going on. Um, I had seen you on the convo couch with my friend Pasta Jardula. And uh, I was like, wow, I've I've never, never heard of this gal before. She, uh, she looks really interesting. She's funny. She's got a unique perspective. And uh, that looked like someone I want to talk to. So that's why I wanted to have you on. So I really appreciate you uh, accepting my invite. Yeah, awesome. No, I love it. I any friend of Pasta's is a friend. He's such a good guy. Yeah, Pasta's awesome. I I first met him in February of 2020. He was out here with the Convo Couch covering the New Hampshire primary, and um, I had spent the last year working on Tulsi Gabbard's primary campaign here in New Hampshire. And uh, you know, the Convo Couch had had her on. And they uh, generally were, you know, favorable of her campaign and gave her very fair press and coverage. So Pasta was out here with Nico and uh, Fee, and they were covering the primary. And he came to our couple of our events. So we met in person, got to chat, exchanged info, and kind of stayed in touch since then. So I'm a big, big booster and a big fan of of all those guys. Yeah, so. I am. I actually met him because he came to a stand-up show and then started following me online. And I was like, it was before pre-Convo Couch. And I was mm-hmm. like, who is this dude, pasta dude? And then he was like always cooking and posting food posts. And I was like, okay, uh, he's hilarious and crazy. And, and then he became Convo Couch and now it's all a totally different game. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a New Yorker. They love their food. He's passionate about their food. I'm a vegan, which I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I saw that. There, there was a vegan transformation. And uh, yeah, no, he looks good. I, I think he's probably down some LBs. And yeah. yeah, I think we'll just we'll just spend the next hour promoting pasta and how good he looks. And basically, pasta, I want an invite to California, and I want you to cook for me, okay? We're like, you lost some weight. Looking good. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah, so, um, you know, I, I see you've been doing comedy for a while. Um and you yeah. call yourself a comedian. I call myself a comedian. I just, I'm here to make people laugh and entertain and I get that vibe from you. So um, like, when did you start doing comedy and how, how did that all start for you? What was like your entryway into doing that knowing you wanted to perform for people? Oh, uh, okay. So I started out um, as an actress and did, well, like back in the day when I was a kid, I was like the neighborhood storyteller and like, director of neighborhood shows and if you weren't nice to me i would like fire you from the show and your life was over so i was like a nazi um director child director of neighborhood performances um and so i started off as acting like you know that that was my first path and after like a decade i was like man this sucks. I'm always getting cast as like the quirky ethnic friend. Like, I don't know things have started changing in the last four or five years, I think in casting. And it's like starting to move to where people are like, we want actual representation. We want leads who are people of color. But when I started about 15 years ago, it was like, um, 
like people were just like we have no idea what to do with you we don't even know what palestinian is like can you play mexican and then i'd get like fired because they were like oh but you're not really mexican and the client found out and this is weird and so it was like mm -hmm. they, they had no idea what to do they were like we don't even know what palestinian is there's no roles for you and if there is it's like you know the the woman in a headscarf in the background and so after about a decade of like bad acting experiences, I was like, you know what? I want to write my own material. So I started taking a, um, I took a workshop with Kamal Bell that was like, write your own one person show. And this is like before he was Kamal Bell, CNN famous. And um, it was, uh, we just all wrote shows about like, you know, whatever we wanted. And I wrote a show called I Heart Hamas. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that, I like that. <laughs> And, um, and so that just kind of took off like wildfire and we toured that for five or six years and I went all over the world with it and it was a tragic comic show. I mean, there were a lot of comedic components. There was like a kind of a stand up, like speak out to the audience component, but there was also a, um, there was also like, you know, like storytelling and actual serious content as well. And so it was like a hybrid um, and I did that. And then I was like, you know what? I'm ready to like go back into more mainstream acting and go back to LA. And, and so I got here and, um, I was just like, Oh God, I need, I miss being on stage, but I don't want to do a whole like hour and a half show. I don't want to remount my show or just tour my show. I want to be in one place. And so the easiest way to get stage time was comedy. And since there were comedic elements to my show, I just kind of extrapolated on that and went with that. And so since then I've just been doing stand up and started touring with stand up and I'm still dabbling in the acting world, but you know, it's few and far between and mostly like here to do. I feel like comedy is also, it's like a combination of like, well, depending on how you do comedy, but it's like a combination of like, therapy for yourself, education for the audience. And then like, also let's try to laugh. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah. On my end. So I have a twin brother named Mike and we've always kind of performed um, going back as kids. We do Shakespeare festivals, high school plays, talent shows at our school. And uh, kind of early on, we always knew we had the ability to mimic people and do impressions. Like it started with our family. We'd be doing holiday parties because my mom and her whole family are from Boston. So they got that that really hideous fucking, you know, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, you know, hor horrible accent. And it, luckily I was born in Massachusetts, but I didn't get, I didn't pick up the accent. Um, my dad was originally from Canada. So he had a bit of an accent, you know, he moved here to America when he was 10. But I, I didn't really get really a Canadian or like the Boston accent. I just, I don't know what you would call my accent. It is, it is what it is. But I thank God it's not that horrible Boston bullshit. And um, so we started impersonating our family, and then we went to teachers in school, and we would get like all the popular and uh, favorite teachers in school's permission to do their impersonations in front of the whole school at the talent show. So kind of just became known as you know the Jackman twins do impressions and they uh, impersonate teachers and then politicians and that sort of thing. So that was kind of like our, my my pipeline into performing and knowing that I liked was comfortable being up in front of an audience and it didn't like didn't really bother me. And um, you know you know how it is you feed off response and and the laughter of your audience and you you find yourself giving more when you're getting more. So it's a pretty cool experience. And uh, what what kind of gave me some success was my Donald Trump impression, which took off uh, 
like almost six years ago now when he was running for president here in New Hampshire in the primary, he started coming here a lot. And I had always done his impression, like going back to 06 when he, remember when he had the beef with Rosie O'Donnell? Oh God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she, she was on the view and she was like, Oh, you know, Donald had his beauty pageant and he had one of the contestants was in trouble. So she like flipped her hair and she was like, everybody deserves a second chance. You know, and it was it was a good Trump impression. And then Trump had Entertainment Tonight's cameras come to Trump Tower and he went, well, Rosie O'Donnell's disgusting. I mean, you look at her, she's a slob. She she talks like a truck driver. Rosie is a disaster. And I think I'll probably sue her. And I was like, oh, my God, I knew who Donald Trump was. But I was like, this guy's this guy's fucking insane. He's a madman. So my brother and I were just doing that impression nonstop and our friends always knew it was like one of our best and favorite impressions. So you fast forward to the 2016 race and he's actually running for president. And my friends are like, dude, Eric, you got to get out there with this Trump impression. You got to dress like him, get a wig, go out there and do this. It, it will take off. So um, the, the, the real first big thing that happened was I started showing up to Trump's events dressed as him in character. And he noticed me at one of them and called me to the front of the stage in front of 5,000 people. And like, we had a little back and forth and he laughed and uh, you know, he said, he said, Hey man, that's great. Congratulations. I hope you make a lot of money doing this. And uh, I was just kind of there just to clown around, you know, and troll and have fun. And a t-shirt company had paid me to promote their shirt there. So that was like my first paying gig coupled with the actual Trump himself, giving me a shout out, telling me he hopes I make a lot of money. So then it kind of just blew up from there and took off. So um, there's, you know, I think like with your stuff in your comedy, there's like a political edge and, and, a, and a lot of politics in, in your comedy. So who, who were like your, your first, uh, like inspirations, your comedic inspirations and who, who do you still look to today as, uh, you know, look up to as comedians? First of all, your Trump is so good. I'm like, <laughs> really like you sound exactly like him. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. It, 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 <laughs> it is terrifying. And and like going back to 06, we'd be going to uh, holiday parties and my mom with her Boston accent, she'd be like, guys, stop it with the freaking Trump. I've heard enough about freaking Rosie O'Donnell. And then it'd be quiet for a minute and I'd be like, hey, mom, what's Rosie? She'd be like, oh, she's disgusting. And I'd make my mom do the Trump impression. So <laughs> It's, yeah, it's kind of it's it's been like a meme. It's it's been a thing. Please tell me you do that like sometimes when you're like in, in intimate moments. Do you just bust So I had I so I've only had one girl ask me if I would consider wearing it during during. Uh, what? <laughs> did, you run? did you run? I'm talking like just fuck up and ruin the moment. I'm not saying like. Oh, I thought you, you. I thought you were talking like intimate moments, like. Yeah, I'm saying like, do you ever just bust it out to like make a joke in the moment? And oh, I, 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 I there's literally depending on how many beers I have, I can't stop doing Trump. Like I just, like, I can't. No, like, so we, but we do have to hear about the woman who wants you to be Trump in bed. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know so much that she wants me to, but she that just she. <laughs> she kind of just floated it, and she's like, "Would you ever consider doing it?" And I was like. Well, look, we'd have to be in Russia. We'd have to be in a hot tub, and Vladimir Putin would have to be there with some body oils, okay? <laughs> the conditions, Jennifer, would have to be right. They'd have to be right, okay? And then maybe I'd consider it. Terrible. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I do Trump all the time. And, you know, when I'm out with friends at restaurants, and I like to entertain uh, the waiters and waitresses because I know I waited tables for a year. That job sucks. Oh, yeah. And you wait on the biggest assholes in the world. So 
when I go out, I like to do like a mini show for our servers and put a smile on their face. And, you know, e either they're, they usually really enjoy it. They think it's fun and funny and it gives me practice. I also um, have two cats that are dying to jump up on here and get on camera at some point. So FYI, if you're wondering why I'm like, bring them up, bring up, bring them up, Jennifer. We'd love it. We'd love oh, it. No um, but yeah, you're your you're inspirations for comedy. You know, I kind of have always had a very, like a weird love for Eddie Pepitone. I don't know, are you, do you know Eddie Pepitone or did you? I, I do not, tell me, tell me about him. I mean, he's like a ranting, raving uh, lunatic. He's just kind of like, I think he was known as like a, sh the, what was it like the, the angry Buddha or something. It's like, he's just like, little older white guy he's kind of a little bit chubby he's like losing lost his hair and but he's like he's really like good at doing a like mashup of like the world is collapsing brought to you by mentos like it's just like the mashup of like the ridiculousness it's like idiocracy like the ridiculousness of of oh people are so like mesmerized by all of these like you know, all of these things, the, all of the capitalism, wow, it's like, okay, and the world is like burning down around this. And so I, um, the funny thing is I met him because I was in Edinburgh doing my show and he was in Edinburgh. He was on a, the way to his show and I was on the way to view his show. And I didn't know that was him for some reason. I didn't recognize him and he was like, do you know the way to blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you have a terrible cough. You should have a cough drop. He's like, I know I'm performing. And then I was like, oh, what are you, where are you going? And he's like, I'm going to do my show. I'm Eddie Pepitone. I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm going to see your show. I can't believe you're Eddie Pepitone. I'm like, what? I just gave you a cough drop. Um, and so that's how we met. And ever since then, I've just kind of loved him. And he's in LA and he's always like, he's super encouraging. He's pulled me on a couple of shows. He's really like a sweetheart and a mentor. Um, and like Rick Overton is another one. It's like these like political older white dude mm -hmm. comics that I keep like, crossing paths with who seem to be like excited that there's like young female people of color voices and you know have been like really lovely and like trying to like help me get further along so that's there's that um so yeah what about you yeah i mean for impersonations um Daryl Hammond, when he was on SNL, to me is the gold standard. And he started following me on Twitter after my Trump stuff kind of got noticed. And that was like, whoa, this is awesome. So I always, I liked his impersonations. Dana Carvey's impressions were awesome. And then as far as like, you know, just straight comedians, um, Bill Hicks is the gold standard. Just that dark, cutting. Uh, so dark. <laughs> right, yeah, and I like I like that with my Irish background. We like we like it dark. We like the dark things. Oh yeah, uh, things too. I, yes, I did, I did a show last week, and I was just like, people were like, ah, and I'm like, too fucking dark for you. Like, oh. it up. You're too soft. <laughs> not, not, part, not dark enough is what I say, Jennifer. Not dark enough. All right, we got to do a show together. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, Bill Hicks, obviously Carlin, George Carlin, uh, Doug Stanhope is awesome. Uh, I've always been a big fan of his. And then right now, my current comedian, like, favorite, I mean, Doug Stanhope's current, but, like, who's pretty big right now. This is the last show I went to a couple weeks ago at the Wilbur Theater in Boston. I sat front row with uh, my cousin and some of my best friends is uh, Tim Dillon. Oh, 
Have you heard of Tim? I've heard of him, but I've never really got. I've, I've not. Oh. But what's his oh. name? He's what's so fucking. Not gonna like him. What's his? I name? I think you will. He's dark. He's dark. I think I think you will like him. He. <laughs> so he's like he's uh, this recovering alcoholic from Long Island. His shtick is he goes, I'm a, I'm a recovering drunk Irish fat gay dude from Long Island. Okay. But uh, he's he just he he touches on like political stuff. He talked a lot about Epstein, which I'm big on talking about, and I've done a lot of stuff on Epstein. Um, and like one of his most outrageous and, and hilarious things is he dressed as Meghan McCain a couple times and did skits on YouTube dressed as Meghan McCain. No, I don't know who. He, I don't. Okay, I have no idea who this dude is. Literally everything. So I feel like someone sent something of his to me recently, and I was like, bookmark, like, but. And then I look at my bookmarks and I'm like, oh, I have 7,600 bookmarks. <laughs> like, I gotta stop bookmarking. Well, I'm telling you, if, if you and I, Jennifer, if we're gonna be friends and we're gonna keep this thing going, you gotta you gotta look at Tim Dillon. You gotta take a look, okay? Send me a good link. Send me a good link and I'll look at it. I'll send you his stuff. And I just looked up that Eddie Pepitone guy and you know what? I have seen him before. I do recognize him, okay. so. Look That's at, cool. I'm looking at the comments, which you're not really supposed to do, but like, hi, people who like. Yeah, we'll we'll go from the UK we'll go, and from Chicago. We'll go. We'll go through some comments. Hey, Jamal hi. Hatton says hi, Jen. Hi, Jamal. <laughs> He's from the UK. Yay. Yeah, another one. Hail from England. Let's see. Pasta is chill. Yeah, he is. Pasta is chill. We got some people watching from Hawaii, where Hawaii. I just was. Oh my god, so jealous. Oh, it was amazing. People like my shirt. Oh, wow. That's cool. All right. Jennifer, you got people waiting for you in London. I'm ready. I'm ready. I mean, if you guys didn't Brexit, I would have been like on a plane and ready to touch down and stay there and get rid of this fucking capitalist hellscape. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer is dope. Yay. <laughs> Thank you. We got someone watching from Denmark, the land of Mads Mikkelsen. Love it. And then uh, my brother chimed in and said, Dick Gregory. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll see you with Dick Gregory and raise you. A, I don't know. Dick Gregory. <laughs> Dick Gregory is good. Yeah. Lurch said, I saw one of Jennifer's shows in Chicago years ago. Oh, nice. Wait, are these people your audience who've seen me? And do we have an overlap or did I like corral? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I tweeted this out to all my people and I saw you retweeted it. So it's maybe, maybe an amalgamation. It's a, it's a, yes, exactly. We'll, we'll take all the positives. Isn't it nice to have some positivity? No, usually the comments are like, you suck. <laughs> no, we don't, we don't do that. We, anyone who says that we send them straight to Gitmo. Okay. We do. And actually, you know what, Jennifer, people don't realize this. I sent Crooked Hillary to Gitmo and we're currently waterboarding her with Trump water, Trump ice. It's unbelievable. Okay. And all, did a commercial. All, all Trump ice is is recycled water from the toilets at Trump Tower. Okay, that's all it is, and it's incredible. You can buy a case for sixty nine ninety nine right now. Oh, and if you're wondering why I look windblown, it's because I have a fan on me. I'm not, yeah. But also, <laughs> you're, like, on, you're on the set of a set of a movie. I was trying to make like an '80s like music video. Girl. I was like, we'll just live that fantasy for a moment. Oh, absolutely. We'll go with it. So yeah, I, I, I saw that. So I, I looked up, you know, some of your stuff and 
Um, you have that funny board on your shows, the uh, I Heart Hamas, where it says Ask a Palestinian. So what, what were some of the most outrageous things, what were some of the most outrageous, some of the most obvious, and some of the stupidest things people would ask you when you had that board on stage? Well, it's interesting because it wasn't actually a lot. This is the, the conceit of it was was actually super fun for me because I was like, we're going to take your questions. And then I was like, oh, actually, you're not going to be able to ask any questions. I'm just going to intuit what they are because I already know what the fuck you're going to ask. And so it was just like all the stereotypical of like, how are you a Christian? Did you convert? How, you know, how do you, how are you? There is no such thing as Palestine. What are you, you know, all of the stupid things that you hear as a Palestinian that you're like, oh my God, I have to, I almost wanted to like, it was like this disclaimer where I'm like, I'm just going to tell you all this really fast so we can move on and like have the facts. And so, um, but I did do fundraising events for my show because I was taking this show on tour to like the Edinburgh Festival and to London and Scotland. And so I did street fundraising where I would just be like, I'm going to Q&A, ask a Palestinian and you have to give me money to answer a question. <laughs> Which is That's awesome. awesome. I raised like $10,000 ago to take my show to, to Europe. Um, wow. Good for you. That's fucking amazing. Yeah. I mean, and with a Kickstarter, but on, like I, I supplemented the Kickstarter with all these like street busking. And like um, there are, I actually think there are like old seven year old YouTube videos with it, but people were like, I actually got asked out on a date in one of the videos, which is really like, they were like, I'm, like, I'm, just, I'm Jewish and I'd like to take you out on a date. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Put some money in the cup and then we can talk. <laughs> it was a Jerusalem mug too. It was like a mug I got, that had Jerusalem like on it. And so, um, you know, I mean, this is the thing people, finally are understanding a little bit of what's happening in Palestine, but growing up Palestinian, first of all, people were like, Pakistanian, Pakistanian, like, what is this? We don't know who you are. Uh, are you an Arab? Is that a, like, you know, I went to Catholic school. I grew up Catholic. There are Christian Palestinians, FYI, in case you didn't know. And in Catholic school with other children who were studying the Bible were like, where's Palestine? And I was like, oh my God, like what? Our education system is terrible. And one day my teacher was like, it's where Jesus is from. Like, did you not learn anything in like eight years of Catholic school, guys? Um, so yeah, I get, you know, every, and then you get the, the typical like, oh, so what about Hamas? What about terrorism? Do you support Israel's existence? Do you like, and it's like, wait a second, this is about me. Let's not talk about Israel. Like, let's get back to me. I like that subject a lot better. <laughs> let's talk about Palestinians. But it's like, anytime you are, it, it's like an identity where, you know, you say you're from Italy and people are like, oh, what region? I traveled there. I love this food. I love this city, blah, blah, blah. You say you're Palestinian and people are like, do you believe in, do you support the right of Israel to exist? And you're like, wait, like, right. wait, ask about the food, ask about the wine, ask about the region. Like, why are you, why is my, why am I a seven-year-old being politically interrogated about whether I believe Israel has a right to exist? And so I think, you know, it's such a loaded identity that like, for a long time as a kid, I wanted to get away from because I was like, oh my God, it's so stressful. I don't want to talk about it with anybody. It's like, I carry so much 
negative connotation for people and so much charge. Um, and then I just fully embraced it once I became a performer and I've been running with it. And honestly, a lot of my stand-up and a lot of my comedy is about Palestine and what's happening there and my experiences being Palestinian. And, and so I think it's been empowering, but I also am like, what, what am I going to talk about when Palestine's free? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we can't. We cannot have self determination and statehood. That would just ruin your whole career. I know. So uh, no, I'm just kidding. We, we have to keep it as this vague thing that'll never happen. No, but it is a question. Like I ask other Palestinians and other activists and Palestinian artists, like you guys, like, do you realize that we have to talk about this? Well, I mean, we don't have to. We can talk about other things, but we kind of do have to talk about it if we want to keep this alive in the in the social consciousness. And it's like, what kind of freedom would we have to talk about other things or to entertain other things or live other lives if we weren't like constantly fighting to uh wake the world up to the like you know essential slow genocide of our people yeah occupation and genocide and you know it, it's it's really the last couple of years and especially with the, the last shit that happened over there in the last couple of months opened the eyes of a lot of Americans. And it's obviously something I've always paid attention to and have been passionate about. Um, I've been studying uh, you know, the Middle East. I majored in political science in college. And I actually wrote my um, senior thesis on the Israeli lobby and APAC and how they spy on us and how you know, uh, uh, supposed allies, no one spies more in the United States than the Israelis. And um, you know, so, it's always been something that's been at the forefront of my activism and what I've been passionate about and what I care about. So, um, you know, seeing your voice out there is certainly inspiring. And I'm, I'm, I don't know. Have you heard of Abby Martin? Oh yeah. Abby, Abby Martin is a huge influence and a big inspiration. And I've always been in awe of her work. Um, and, um, yeah, it's just, it's just something that Americans, a lot of Americans have such a limited, bastardized understanding of and it's also through the lens of a media that is completely one-sided and biased in its coverage of of the middle east of israel and palestine and like if you dare say one thing about recognizing palestinians in their struggle and that they live under occupation and you talk about the west bank or you you talk about the gaza strip oh you you're with terrorists you side with the terrorists you're you're anti-semitic you're against the israelis you're like well no i'm i'm talking about people whose land was taken from them and and like you said they have been are being genocided and um then that can lead to a bigger conversation about like things like the nakba and so many of my friends had no idea what that was so it's it's like you have to find like a starting point for people and i think you know social media has been a game changer for this to show people what is happening over there, like with settlements and, and you could have a Jewish person from Brooklyn come over there and, and take a Palestinian's house that's been in their family for generations. Absolutely. And like, I feel like this, the last, it's funny cause I interviewed Leila Khaled probably about five or six years ago. She was, the, she was uh, with the PFLP. She was the first woman to ever hijack a plane. She hiked, but she was committed to nonviolence. Like she was, she was like, I'm gonna hijack a plane so that I can get press attention so I can talk about Palestine because it's not being covered in the media. Um, but I will not, I will, I refuse to hurt anybody. I refuse to like do anything violent. And so 
I interviewed her a while, about five years ago, and she was like, look, I've done my job. We've all done our job. Like we've all been fighting for Palestine for years. It is now that we need to um, put into the hands of social media and like the the picture, the, the camera, the cell phone image, those are what's going to be the next level of fighting and the next level of like educating people about what's happening in Palestine. And I was like, she could not have been more correct. I feel like with this last situation in Shekhtra, in Gaza and all of the young folks putting that on their TikTok, putting their social media up, posting constantly on Twitter, on YouTube. This is what's happening. It's like people now can see on the ground so that all the propaganda and bullshit that the media has been, you know, shoving down our throats for the last hundred years, 70 something years about uh, the state of Israel is now being countered by actual realities on the ground. And I think people for the first time are like, wait a second, this narrative doesn't make sense. What I've been told is incorrect. And what I'm seeing is like heartbreaking and, and the opposite of everything I've been told. And so, you know, even with this whole like rhetoric that Palestinians are the violent aggressors. Okay, then here's a rally in Jerusalem of uh, tens of thousands of young people chanting death to Arabs. Like we're the violent ones is the, is the, the party line that's been sold for so long that it's like you are constantly on the offensive as a Palestinian. Like, what do you think about Hamas? What do you think about the right of Israel to accept? What do you, before you can even say your perspective. And so it's like they've really been successful at putting us on the offense constantly and not giving us a space to tell our perspective. And oh, you know, exactly because the West and the US are like heavily invested in Israel's existence for our existence because it's, you know, this parasitic relationship. Oh, I mean, yeah, we, we give them billions every year, carte blanche. They have nuclear weapons that no one's allowed to talk about. Um, you know, they have, uh, yeah, no, it's so true. And, and, and you're absolutely right. That's always the starting point when shit happens over there is, oh, they're firing rockets at us. Israel has the right to defend themselves. Yeah, but did you see IDF troops going and shoot children in the balls? And, and, and cuff people and throw them down in the dirt and 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 help destroy people's homes and terrorize ch children and families. None of that's ever shown until recently. So that's yeah. why I think the tide's turning. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The tide is turning. And I think, you know, it's slow. The BDS movement is taking root. People are starting to really like speak up. We've had like some, you know, this, the fact that several celebrities, I know some of them backed out in our pussies, but several celebrities have spoken out about it. And I think that, you know, as much as you're like, who cares what celebrities think, you can't underestimate their platform and their ability to just put that bug in people's ears and have them go, okay, what is this? What's going on there? Like what? Oh, I, I so, love Roger. Roger Waters is awesome. Yes. Oh yeah, he's, he's been, but he's been solid for a year. I mean, he's just been super. He's solid. always been. He doesn't give a fuck what anyone says. He's he's really based on it. He just he's he's unwavering, and I really admire what he's done and what he said. And um, you know, he's been over there several times, and yeah, he shines a light on it where it needs where it needs to. And you know, I mentioned Abby Martin. Her documentary Gaza Fights for Freedom is something when things That's flared up recently is what I sent to a lot of my friends. Mm -hmm. Well, and, it's interesting because I. I set up, you know, in the in the moment of everything happening so frantically. And thank you, John Jackson, for saying that my hair is amazing. I really appreciate that. Comment. Oh yeah, let's get that up there. Oh yeah. I told, you, <laughs> I told you the fan was gonna be good. So glamorous. 
fan really worked. I'm going to start doing this on all my, I, whatever. Anyway. So, uh, I created a, um, I created a website just with like, it's just a janky little Google site and threw up all this information. Um, when everything was happening in May. And then of course, within like three or four weeks, it started going viral and it's like Palestine 101, you know, short videos, Insta graphics, information links, just like for people to just get a handle on what's happening for like the basic entry level person who doesn't know what's going on. And within like two weeks, they were like DNS server problems. This site is stealing your information, blah, blah, blah. And I have yet to figure out how to resolve this. And people are like, I also did a big um, what's happening in Palestine um, on Instagram with Kamal Bell when it was all going down. And he was like, why can't you get on? Why can't you? I add you. Why won't they let you join? And it was like, you know, the constant level of like trolling and undermining that's going on on the Internet for Palestinians to speak out and like say what's happening cannot be underestimated. So the fact that some voices are actually being trickling through and being heard and being amplified is amazing right now but the you know i don't know if you're aware but the palestinian like artists and activists and even like young college students and whatever are constantly put on like blacklists and you know doxxed and trolled and i'm on tons of blacklists and and they oh. try to do this to like ruin your life and ruin your career you're getting tons of like trolls coming after you it's like this orchestrated level of like online harassment to take down any Palestinian voice who dares oh. to tell the truth. I bet you are a huge, I bet the Hasbro loves you. Oh, well, when I was on my show, that, I got that, death threats up the wazoo. It was that's like, what you're, that's what you're talking about. The Hasbro. Yeah. 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 I got tons of death threats. I'm totally like, um, and, and, uh, I got, yeah, I got trolled. I got put on blacklist. I got sent like tons of crazy death threats. It was like, how dare you? Like you love Hamas, then friggin' go wear that outfit to Gaza and end up being stoned to death. And I was like, okay, read the book. First of all, that's not what happened. I was on the beach in Gaza in a bikini drinking a cocktail, like get your shit together. You don't, I'll send you a picture, like <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> like, but it's like, people don't know, you know, I lived in the West bank, um, in 2000 and 2001, uh, I arrived right in time for the second intifada to start. I like to say, like, that was my welcome. Like, constantly, yeah. like, oh, you're great, cool. Welcome. Um, it's about to get real. Shit's about to pop off. Literally. It was nuts. But, you know, it was the best education I could ever have as a Palestinian American who was raised in America, whose parents fled Palestine and who, like, never really had like you know you watch it you hear it but until you live it it's a whole other ball game and it was like the feeling of being targeted persecuted um watching what my friends went through be living under occupation seeing people shot being shot at being you know tear gassed and like realizing that like even as an american citizen your life means shit like i would call the embassy and they were like look if you're in the west bank we have no we can't we can't help you like there's nothing we can do your life is in your own hands like if you get bombed or if you get shot or whatever like we're not gonna 
evacuate you. We're not going to, you know, when shit gets crazy. So too bad, so sad. And I was like, wow, thanks American Embassy. Like that's. Yeah. Thanks for nothing. Well, so do you. It's so my, my citizenship is really <laughs> worth absolutely nothing to you. If I'm you're a Palestinian. Goes a real long way. So when did your parents leave Palestine and do you still have a lot of family that live over there? You know, I don't, uh, they, they left. So, um, in the early fifties, I think a lot of the people, because my family's from the West Bank, and so it was under Jordan, Jordanian rule at this point. And so, um, there, it was just a really tumultuous time, and people were like, "We, there's only a matter of time that this is going to become under Israeli rule." And there's like still fighting and and violence and we just don't know what is going to happen. And so my grandfather was, um, his, his father died when he was 13. And as a 13 year old, he got on a boat, came to America and peddled door to door to make money to send home back, back home to his family in Palestine. So, um, FYI, that's what grownups do. So <laughs> I meet these like comedians who are like, yeah, man, I just like sleep on a couch. And I was like, my grandfather had a job at 13 in a different country where he didn't speak the language and supported an entire family. Suck it up. Like get it together. Get yourself right. together. Like go for your comedy or go for whatever you're going to do, but make it happen. So, um, so yeah, so we had this already like established, my family had already established links with the US and my grandfather would come back and forth and work. And so he was like, look, at the point he had, he was a married man, he had kids and he was like, look, let's just go away for like six months or a year, we'll come back. Let's just let the fighting settle down. And, um, and so he took off and then uh, was not allowed to return. And so I think what happens is um, there were, it was like, there's so many different levels of Palestinian stories. There's people who were actually massacred. There's people who were run out of their town and fled to another village. There's people who then fled to another country. There's people who were still kind of in this limbo and some decided to leave and some decided to stay. And so people often say, well, you, you guys just picked up and left. It's like, yeah, when, uh, when someone's pointing a rifle at you and threatening to rape or murder your entire town and village, like you might be like, yeah, maybe we should take off for a little while and like, see what, let this shit cool down. Like, and so this argument that like, well, Palestinians just picked up and left. It's like, first of all, no, that's not what happened. We didn't just pick up and leave. We weren't like, Oh, we're going to go to Paris now. See you later. Like, we were right. Just, right. Um, so, my family came over with the assumption that they would be able to go back and, you know, in a short while and it kind of like never cooled off and, and it was not in the cards. And so we had a small amount of, uh, a few relatives there. When I went back in 2000, 2001, we had some, some family members there, but they've all since passed. Um, but I, you know, not having family there doesn't mean that I'm not, like oh I, yeah i have my family house there which i don't you know like it was just it's just really it's it's really um interesting because when i was living there i would have to leave as an american every three months because i wasn't like they were not going to give you any permit to stay or like like whatever i was working for a theater in the west bank and stuff and so i would have to leave every three months to 
technically leave the country to come back to renew renew your visa and another three months start. Um, and so it was like, it's this feeling that like any dude from Brooklyn could be, you know, any Jewish guy from Brooklyn could be like, Hey, you know, I think I want to live there now. And then mm -hmm. I was like, Hey, this is my family's house. Like, this is where my mom was born. This is like my grandfather's land. This is his groves. This is his farmland. And like, they were just like, get the fuck out. You know, the fact that yeah. he, I don't have any rights. I can't even stay in the West Bank, which is technically under Palestinian rule for more than three months because Israel controls all the borders and all the ins and outs. Right. But it's like, you know, even if I were to get Palestinian authority, which you can't because it's based on when you were there and when you left and if you were on the ground at the time when they counted you. So it's like there's, I, I, I don't, my family, we don't have access to our home. Yeah, that's... Yeah, that, that's just beyond. And, you know, the, the terrorism label gets thrown, thrown around towards Arabs and the Palestinian side. And a lot of Americans are very ignorant to the founding of Israel. And you want to talk about terrorism and what the Israelis did, like the bombing of the King David and the Stern Gang and uh, the Haganah. These were all terrorist groups that would bomb and kill innocent people. And then I mentioned the Nakba earlier, which is most, a lot of Americans are very ignorant of what that is. And, and, um, you know, if you if you had to say a few words about what that is, what would you say that oh. is? If you had to tell someone who's never heard of that, oh, the Nakba. Yeah, I mean that that just translates to catastrophe in Arabic, and it's pretty much the window in forty seven, forty eight when um, tons of. I mean, this is the thing: there were Jewish settlements, there were Jewish citizens who were who were Palestinians, there were Jewish immigrants coming in since the eighteen. 90s i think like there was there were waves of immigration um of people who were as jews were like this is this is where we want to be this is what we consider our homeland and for you know there were a, there were some flare-ups of violence but for the most part these communities got all lived there all considered it their home all got along worked together like you know my parents were like my mom told me when she was a kid, there was this Jewish cobbler. They would always go to him once a year and get all their shoes made. And so they would go to Jerusalem and she would go, you know, get their shoes fitted and they would play with each other's kids. And they all like would interact and do business together. And, and so it was like this notion that there was this violence happening for, you know, since the end of time is complete bullshit and fabrication right. used to be. And the fact that there it is, there is such a diverse community of people there. There are Armenian Palestinians. There are Greek Orthodox Palestinians. There are Jew. There were Jewish Palestinians. There were all of these people called themselves Palestinians of different faiths, of different backgrounds, of different persuasions. So this idea that like now it's Palestinian versus Israeli, and it's like no, we were all actually Palestinians at the time. Um, and so the Nakba is like. 48 when you know they decided to carve up palestine and go okay we're this part belongs to you now and this part belongs to you and like all the arabs scoot over to the partition we're giving you and then the rest of it is for these like new jewish immigrants and that's when uh there was just an eruption of violence and palestinians were like no this isn't that cool and there were like tons of armed uh jewish gangs who came in and like 
did a ton of massacres in a whole bunch of cities and, you know, left one person alive and said, run to the other town and tell them if they don't get the fuck out of their houses that they're next. And so it was a wave of, uh, you know, violence that caused a huge panic. It caused people to flee. It caused, you know, people to try to fight. It caused utter chaos. And so it was really the loss. Um, and at that point, then the partition was no longer on the table. They were taking as much ground as they could, which they got except for the West Bank and Gaza. And so, um, and the, you know, so it's like, it's this moment that this is, that is the moment we lost our country. Like that is the moment that I think Palestinians feel like is, is the, the big, the big catastrophe, the moment when we were, and then since then it's been, you know, slow uh, absorption of more Palestinian land, slow, you know, demolition of Palestinian homes, uh, taking away Palestinian rights, occupation, outright, you know, violence and terrorism. And so uh, it's, you know, and so that was, that was the moment that was the start, this, the start of it. And, um, and it's interesting because I feel like there are Jewish communities who then were vocally saying like, no, we're Palestinians. Like, we don't agree with this. Like, we're killing our neighbors. Like, why is this happening? But that is like really erased from the history of the Jewish community. Um, and I think that there, there are still some Jews who do write about it and who do speak up about it. And, and they're definitely considered outliers because, um, the propaganda has to like divide. It was like the divide and conquer propaganda. So it's like Jews versus Muslims and Muslims were convenient because Muslims, you know, the majority of Palestinians, I would say 80% were Muslims, 20% were Christians. And so, um, you know, now it's been like, it's been propagandized into this foreign, scary terrorist thing that, you know, it's just, it's, it's all for, the benefit of the people in power it's to retain power is to retain resources it's re to retain a u.s satellite in the middle east is to have control and totally like uh, decimate the rest of the middle east by having a you know a little satellite there where we can do all of our operations and yeah the entire region and control oil and i mean it's right. this insane like you know, the U.S. has been playing these crazy chess games with people's lives and countries and livelihoods and and for decades. And it's sickening. It's what's happening in Afghanistan and it needs to end. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 sad because we don't really have a centralized anti-war movement in America. And I'd like to see that happen. I mean, certainly with a lot of my friends who are libertarians, that's a big concern of ours is empire, the belligerent empire, spending trillions, just pissing money away. And I would argue creating more enemies. When you drone bomb a village and there's survivors of that drone attack, five, 10 years later, they're still around. You know, how do you think they're going to feel about America and what America's doing in the Middle East? And it's just, it's a simple example, but it's a, it's a very hard hitting example, you know, and it, it makes people who otherwise wouldn't think about it, think about it. So I use that example a lot. And um, yeah, actually, I recently watched a documentary about an Israeli girl named Italia Ben Abba, or Ben Abba, who is a conscientious objector, and she's part of a wave of young Israelis who are refusing service in the IDF, in the Israeli military, which is very inspiring. And they're, they're very much, you know, for amplifying Palestinian voices and 
you know, they're, very, they're actually like the true progressive left over in Israel who are the antithesis of like the far right and the Likud and Netanyahu and all those ghouls. So um, I thought her story was very inspiring and it was, it was refreshing to see that there are people who were over there who were trying to do something about it on the Israeli side, at least. I mean, it's such a small, the Israel, the, yeah. it's such a small proportion and like, like us, like many people, it's like, I feel like they're, you know, the, the right wing has taken such a hold and has, is just people, you know, what was once progressive uh, is now like insane. Like that, that's considered insane. And like, what was, it's like everything has moved so so dramatically that like centrists are now considered left even though they're centrist <laughs> and then the right wing are now centrist and then there's the insane like super radical right nazi lunatics fringe who are now like the right wing and so that the the society there much like here feels like it's moving so dramatically like radically to the right yeah, no, I, I call it peak clown world. People are so de dug in and absolute in their beliefs, and you're absolutely right, or either way, way, way left, way, way right, and there's just reasonable voices and people who just want to, like, talk pragmatism and solutions are drowned out by emotional fervor from either side. Yeah. So it's, it's uh, being reasonable and having nuance and wanting discussion is uh god i just i remember a time where that was the norm and now it's just like you're drowned out by the extremes of both sides and they're all they're all in echo chambers too yeah and and they're getting you know they kind of egg each other on and it's like you know there's part of me that's like okay you know i i did this ridiculous silly twitter bowl yesterday but it was like do i just get a van and live by a stream with my pets and chill out and say like fuck y'all you're crazy i'm out of here like kill each other do whatever you want. I'm just going to go be like, I'm going to check out or do you stay and fight? And like, as a comedian, it's like, how do you incorporate levity in your work, but also, you know, ring the bell of the urgency of like how insane the world is now becoming. And so is there hope? Do you have hope? How do you find that hope? And so these are things I've been really struggling with and trying to figure out like, what is, where is the movement? Like you said, where is the movement for solutions? Where are where? When is the moment for solutions? Because it it feels like nobody's trying to find solutions. Everybody wants to shit talk and get the mm -hmm. last word in and be the funny yeah. puppet or be the you know right wing extremist pushing the agenda. Or it's like nobody nobody's like, wait, how do we fix this? It's like what had just happened in Afghanistan and people were like, well, this was a, you know, there's all this rhetoric and all this talk, but it's like, no, but how do we fix this? Like, how do we resolve this? How do we help these people? How do we undo the harm we're doing? Like that's right. the question in my mind that I feel like is the most pressing. And I'm, I'm at the point where I'm probably going to take a sabbatical. Cause I, you know, after COVID, I was like working the whole COVID and like doing tons of stuff and I'm pretty exhausted, but it's like, for me, that's like the most important question is what is the way forward? And like, how do we forge a way forward when everybody is so divided and the world is moving so radically right? And the people in power seem to uh, not give a shit about what the average needs of, of the, the constituent is. And 
not only do they not give a shit, they're not even aware. They're so detached and removed from everybody's lives and everyday struggle and what they go through that uh, they're just like aloof and they're like a whole other class of human. And, and it's, it's just so obvious all over the country. So um, what is, I mean, how is the comedy scene out there right now um, in, okay. in San Francisco? I mean, what, what do you have going on right now? Are you open mics? Are you performing regularly? Like what's, what's the scene like? We're like, let's just talk about comedy now that we've depressed the hell out of everybody. Well, we went, we went serious and intense for a little while, Jennifer. Now we're going to yeah. ease back a little bit. I, I'm, and totally I'm totally for this. Um, <laughs> I'm in LA, and the comedy scene here is really weird. First of all, I don't know if what the COVID, like, this is the other thing. The COVID situation is so everywhere and everything is like different every place you go i see comedians like i'm going on a national tour and i'm like what the fuck? like and then people in la are like we're probably going to lock down again so i'm mm. just like i don't know what's going none of us know what's going on but um there are it started opening up again a couple months ago when they lifted the mask mandate in LA and like everything opened up again, but like still a lot of places are like, we're not doing it. Like you can do an outdoor open mic or some of them are still doing zoom. Um, there are some venues that are open and are like, you can come inside and go to a show, but you have to show proof of vaccination. Some places are like, we're not opening indoor anymore. We're just doing it all outdoor. So it's like, it's all so, based on like the desires of the venue and what they feel comfortable and what they want to do. Um, so I don't know. I've been doing like, I've been invited to do zoom shows. I have a zoom show Friday. Um, it's a fundraiser for a local like feminist stand-up venue. That's like expanding and trying to build a, a um, disabled accessible bathroom they're like trying to expand their they're like well we're in COVID. let's just do, do zoom shows as fundraisers and try to like develop our space to be more accessible which is awesome like that's great yeah. that they're doing that and so i'll just drop a link on my socials for whoever wants to uh it's you know it's all going to the venue so it's a donation-based show um but yeah, it's, it's just, it's all over the board. So as far as me, I did a live, sh I've done a couple of live shows. I did a live show the day after we opened. They were like, LA's open again. We're doing a live show. And they were like, it was like a quarter full. Like it was like such a small audience. And people were like, oh, I'm kind of freaked out. I don't know what to do. And so um, I did another live show a couple weeks ago and it was, yeah, I feel like people aren't 100% ready to come back to normal, whatever normal is, but, um, so yeah, it's a, it's kind of all over the place and I don't know what, I'm not planning, a, I, I see these comedians with like 20 city tours that they're announcing and I'm like, what? Really? <laughs> like, yeah, I, I guess you, you're right. People are kind of all over the place with it. Um, my brother and I just did a live show, our first one um, since everything happened in our hometown here in New Hampshire at a Legion. And uh, we got 40 people to come out and it was a, it's a live podcast special that we wanted to do. So we hired a film crew. I'll send you the link if you want to watch it. I'd love to hear what you think about it. Um, 
yeah, it's just my brother and I were up there on stage riffing for an hour and a half. And then we hired a film crew that came up from Philly and New York City and filmed it. And, uh, you know, we hired a sound team. Um, it was it was like a, it was a cool live event and 40 people came out and uh, it went over really well. So like out here in New Hampshire, we have pl places are pretty open. And my, my friend, uh, a gal named Geneva, who dresses like Melania sometimes with me when I dress as Trump, we do events together. <laughs> we did a we did a we did a fun event uh back in june at a country club here in new hampshire which ironically was the same country club in the same exact room where i had met donald trump for the second time in person oh, okay. and i i had him sign a copy of the art of the deal for me that's how you get him if you bring a copy of the art of the deal it's like catnip for for him he'll just he'll be like oh do you want me to sign that you want, did you read that isn't that a great book even though i've never read it because i didn't write it it's a great it's one of the best books ever but um yeah we did we did a uh, i got hired to entertain this woman's 60th birthday party so i had my friend geneva dressed up like melania she bought a wig she puts on the whole outfit does the makeup it's pretty funny um, but she runs a comedy room here in Manchester called the Ruby Lounge. So if you could ever get out this way, maybe you could come play it. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm coming to be, a be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'll bring you on tour. Are you a beer drinker? Yeah, you like beer? Okay, well, well breweries are, they're, they're all the rage out here. And I, I live right across the street from a great brewery. So you have to check it out. There's tons of them everywhere. But um, yeah, so we had that live show. Um, we want to do some more live shows and I've, in the last year and a half, I've probably, I mean, definitely have done less Trump gigs because of the virus, but I still had a pretty fair amount where I would get hired for private parties, um, show up for, I did a, this couple where they're like in their eighties and it was their 50th wedding anniversary and all their adult children hired me to come down to Cape Cod. So I drove like, God, I was on the road. I did all together. It was like six hours, three hours each way. And I drove down and this was still kind of like the height of the virus, but it was in their backyard and people were kind of spread out. And I just walked in there dressed as Trump, had all this info about them and just started like roasting people in the family and telling jokes as Trump and celebrating the couple. And I was like, you know, I wouldn't know anything about being married for 50 years. I've been married three times. Those were all great deals. I made a lot of money on each deal. I had a team of lawyers where the women had to pay me actually when we got divorced. It was incredible stuff, Jennifer, if you could believe it, okay? Were they Trump supporters? So yeah, so these people were. They they loved they loved Trump. But I, I get hired by all across the spectrum. I've actually done right. events for like people who hate him, people who love him. And I did one event for the actual Trump campaign uh, one night down in Mass, which was which was ridiculous. Oh yeah, it was. <laughs> what's that? that for the Trump campaign? Well, yeah, people, yeah, it was like people affiliated with him and it was like an official campaign party. It was like a watch party for returns. And I just went on stage and some of them were so thick and, and, and so blockheaded. They didn't realize like, yeah, I'm, I'm up there. I'm making fun of Trump. Like, yeah, I'm making, I'm making fun of the Clintons. I hate the Clintons, but I'm also making fun of Trump, you know? <laughs> this whole like, insane like idea that the Clintons and the Obamas and even the rehabilitation of George Bush, like what the hell is going on? It's it's, it's part of clown world. I'm telling you, you know, he paints now. So he's, he's rehabbed. He went on Ellen and he danced on Ellen. He's a good guy. Now he doesn't have the blood of a million Iraqis on his hands anymore. No, he Obama likes them. So everybody's cool with it. They give, they give each other candy at funerals and stuff and smile at each other. You know, it's all good now, you know? 
talking about, Jackman? Like, how are we going to save? Like, how are? How do we? How do we fix this? We're not we're not going to save the world, but I think what we can do is make people laugh and inform them and make them think. And I'll tell you, when I go on my rants or I just don't give a shit and I just say what's really on my mind and what I know to be true, I get more messages of support, even though it's like privately, because people are afraid. People are afraid to publicly come out and say, dude, I loved everything you said there. I agree with you, but you know, we got to keep this on a DM. But it's like, fuck that. Come out and be public about it. Be brave. What's What's going to happen to you? People who you think are like big people, or are these just um, well, I mean, obviously, you're not gonna tell us who, but well, no, I mean, I'm for this, I'm just talking about like my friends or people who follow me on social media will uh will say that to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I know some some people who are, have big platforms and, and stuff, and there's certain things that they could retweet or not tweet or share. But uh, they see you sharing it and tweeting it and stuff, and they like that, but yeah, um. They're afraid. I mean, that's for sure about Palestine, like Palestine. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. People are terrified even to retweet stuff or they retweet it and then they like freak out and delete it. So, right, they, they backtrack and then they go on an ADL apology tour and they do a nice interview with Alan Dershowitz, you know, who flew on Epstein's jet and went to Epstein's Island. Yeah, I just I just don't give a shit anymore. I, what, I've done 20 years of research into all the crimes of the elite and the warmongers and I know the stuff really well and I'm pretty confident in what I say. So if I'm saying it like as Trump or Jokey or I'm saying it for real, you can rest assured that the information is good and it's solid. And if you do it in a funny way, you might be able to get people to actually look into it. Like when Ghislaine Maxwell got arrested here in New Hampshire last year, my brother and I and our friend Jason Burmis, who's a big YouTuber and journalist, we drove out to her house the day after the FBI arrested her. Oh my gosh. And uh, I, I was- doing? <laughs> What's that? What'd you do? Well, we, I was pretty nervous driving out there. I'm not going to lie. So the morning she got arrested, my phone blew up and people were like, Eric, Ghislaine Maxwell got arrested in Bedford, New Hampshire. I said, Bedford, that's right down the street. And then they corrected it. They said, no, it's actually Bradford, New Hampshire, which is way out in bumfuck, way out in the woods. But it was only like 45 minutes from where I live. So our buddy Jason was coming to visit anyways before Ghislaine was arrested. And we're like, dude, we got to go out there. Just check it out. So we drove out there and it was like off a dirt road. You're on a dirt road for miles and her driveway goes way up onto a hill and there's a gate. So you can't really get close to the house. So we were just down at the bottom of the driveway and there was like a British journalist from the Guardian who was there. And you, he walked up to the gate and there was like a, like a British dude, probably former British special forces guarding the gate, not letting anyone in obviously. But we just wanted to go check it out and talk to the neighbors and the neighbors had no idea who was there. They rarely ever saw cars coming and going. And um, oh, wow. so even know? no, they, they, they had no, they didn't know. They didn't know obviously until the rest of us knew, but they had no idea like who lived there. They never saw people coming and going. And um, so, so we were, we were at the bottom of our driveway with Jason Burmis and we like filmed a couple of videos. So then I had Jason film me and I did Trump and I said, if you are ever looking, if you've run one of the largest child trafficking rings for the Mossad and Israeli intelligence, and you're looking for somewhere to hide away, I got a perfect place for you right up this hill, you know, it's Trump, Trump, the real estate salesman, you know, and, uh, you know, look, Jennifer Ghislaine could walk in right now. I wouldn't know her. You know, I know I met her a bunch of times. I was partying with her. She was around my children with Epstein, but I have no idea who she is and I wish her well. Okay. I wish her well. I do. What's the deal? What, what's the, so you still get a lot of work from this. 
Yeah, June, I had two huge gigs in June. I had a corporate gig in June for Anderson Window where the sales team hired oh, me. What? <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm ro I mean, right now I'm, I'm not shaving. So you know I haven't done a gig in a little while when I'm growing up my facial hair. But okay. if I'm clean shaved, if I'm clean shaven, it means that I had a gig recently and I had I was the big orange clown. But um, yeah, Anderson Window hired me to drive down to Connecticut for like a big sales meeting celebration banquet hall at a big hotel. Okay. And um, a few people knew I was coming and the vice president obviously had to sign off on it of this group. And I just stormed into this banquet. There was like probably over a hundred people in there. I took over the podium and the microphone from the president of the whole company. I called him a loser. I said, this guy's a loser. He has no idea how to run a meeting. All right, <laughs> it's terrible. You guys were failing until this team took over and now you do amazing work. And um, you know, I had just a bunch of information that the guy who hired me um, to talk about at the podium and, and everyone was laughing, everyone loved it. Um, but yeah, June, June was kind of my last two big gigs that I got. But uh, yeah, you know, I have a minimum amount that I'll do it for. And if people aren't willing to pay me a certain amount, I say, find another Trump, find someone who's better than me, yeah. who has more experience, pay, pay him a hundred dollars to go do it. You know? Oh, I love the hundred. I love when you get called for a gig oh. and you're like, oh, we have a $75. You're like, what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah. It's a, it's a bringer. It's a bringer and a five drink minimum, by the way. Oh my God. How are, how is comedy out where you are? Like, <laughs> You get you don't make anyone or do you guys? So like my deal, my deal is kind of different. I mean, I've done open mics and stand up, and I've headline shows, mm -hmm. but like a lot of what I do, like with my Trump stuff, I get hired directly. I'm on gigsalad.com. That's where that's, I get a. That's a totally like that's a yeah. Those are like corporate gigs, but like mm -hmm. doing stand up locally, is there like a scene? Is there can you like work? And yeah, Manchester, New Hampshire. There's a place called the Shaskeen which is changing hands. And my friend Geneva is going to be running it starting in September. So she's going to be booking comedians. They, um, I think they do shows every Wednesday and I think they have an open mic and there's, there's other spots around Manchester that have open mics. And then down in Massachusetts, um, there's a pretty, pretty good comedy scene in Boston. So yeah, it's like open now and people are doing stuff. Um, my good friend Ian, Ian Stewart is like the big, comedy guy in Portland, Maine. So there's a pretty good comedy scene up in Maine. So you're, you're driving a lot here in New England to, to find yeah, gigs and stuff. Lot to do gigs. Yeah. In LA, like yeah. you don't get paid. For, like if you get, if you get a paid gig in LA, you're like, what is this person oh. does not know that there's <laughs> because there's so many people in LA who will work for free. Sure. It's just like until you're a headliner, you're not getting paid. Like you have to go on tour to make any money. Um, yeah. You know, which, you know, buying a van and hanging out and taking off for a while might be good for my career, actually. Oh, that, that definitely has its charms. I mean, I don't, I don't think that can be ruled out at this point if you could swing it. Oh, yeah. I mean, what? LA is like, first of all, it's still half closed. Hmm. They're still, I, if you go down the street, half the business is never reopened. And you don't know if they're permanently shut or if they're still waiting. A lot of places, right. like I said, are doing outdoors or just weird special events. Like, it's definitely kind of still half asleep in a zombie city. Like, there's there's not there's not a lot going on. It's really, so. Well, you could, I'm, not, if they, I'm not missing this, like, exciting L.A. life going like I may as yeah. well 
this is the time if you're going to take a sabbatical and like take off and run around to do it because yeah. I mean Austin's hot right now obviously because of Rogan and uh, to kill Tony Tony Hinchcliffe's there um, they all left LA because there's nothing going on here <laughs> they left LA and followed Daddy Rogan down to Texas right. um, which you know it might be cool to go visit but to like uproot and just move there totally I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't do that I mean that's just craziness I'm not doing that. I like barbecue, but not, like not that much. Um, um, and I heard the scene in Austin is really small, actually. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I I only just know Tim Dillon moved there too, but he hates it, so he's thinking of moving back to L.A. because he was in L.A. for a while. Then he went to Austin with Ro like when Rogan went there and everybody. But all he does on his podcast is shit on Austin, which is actually pretty funny. That's interesting. Yeah, it's pretty mean, good. Everyone I talk to in Austin is like, there's like not. Why, we don't know why all these people just picked up and moved here. There's like nothing going on here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and also too, though. I mean, we can we can create scenes wherever we are. You know, wherever you are, you can create your own scene. It's not easy. I mean, putting on the show, my brother and, and I did was a lot of money out of our own pockets. We had to do all the promo, all the advertising, and everything. I mean, granted, we wanted to do it as a special and put it out, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just I, I just hope. Uh, a lot of places don't close forever and, and it can come back in some capacity, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm wondering what it's interest. It'll be interesting to see what comes back and what the model is like, what is going to be the model. I, I think we have another year minimum of this kind of instability. Well, if I uh, recall Newsom and put Larry Elder in there, he'll open up all the comedy stores. Well, he'll, fi he'll fix everything. He'll fix everything. Him and him and Caitlin. I'm Hey, it's Caitlin Jenner. And I'm running for governor because I need to make California great again. It's bananas. It's craziness. Uh, there's like, you know, it's, it's, I don't know what, I don't know what to believe. I don't know who to believe. I've heard reports that the ICUs at local hospitals are jam packed. I've, you know, there's a lot of cases in LA, but it's not where it was. So you're vaccinated yeah. and protected. You're not vaccinated. And, you know, it's like, nobody I knows what that is. I just call it clown world. I don't know. I just live my life. I try to be kind to everybody and I meet people where they're at, like with the virus stuff. Like if they want to LARP and wear the mask and do the distant stuff, there's no need to start an argument over it, you know? And people are free. So, uh, people, oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say people are free to get vaccinated or not get vaccinated, live their lives the way they feel is the best for them. And I respect people who choose whatever they choose to do. I mean, yeah, but again, it's like we, we keep finding ourselves in these predicaments where it's like there's no sort of consensus as to how to move forward. I mean, I, I think, I don't know. I think we're going to have to accept that we got to live with this virus. I don't it, think it's going, it's going anywhere. Anywhere ever? You think this is the new reality? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'm no expert. I'm not a virologist, and you know, none of that shit. But I, I, just to see for 18 months, like some people are like, I haven't left my house. I haven't gone to a restaurant. I haven't seen family. It's like, are you really living? Are you? People. That's yeah. I do too. And there, yeah, I know all ends. I know people who are like, I've been going out to bars since like I was going to underground bars that were open during the height of COVID, and like right, not right. giving up. I mean, it's like there's all extremes. There is, yeah. It is a shit show full of commies. <laughs> oh, 
Texas. Nice. Fucking commies. Full of the commies. All of it. <laughs> well, Alex Jones, Alex Jones isn't going to let no commies here in Austin. I'm going to get rid of all of them. All right, gonna... Texas. Is he making an exit from Texas? Are you is this Maybe. Exit? Yeah, <laughs> a new Texas. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like we're in this weird limbo where it's like, uh, I'm trying to figure out, like, are you just, are you writing new material now or what are you, what are you working on? Yeah. So we just put our show out there and, you know, my brother and I are always bouncing ideas and stuff off each other, uh, whether it's for a skit or another show, but really my podcast, I try to do my podcast every week and okay. book interesting guests and have people on um, that I'm interested in talking to and want to promote. So that's kind of been our focus, but yeah, with uh, my friend uh, taking over the comedy club here in New Hampshire, I'm you know definitely intrigued about uh, doing a you know doing a slot there and checking that out and promoting that. And obviously, if you could get out here, it'd be cool to cool to book you there. So, what I was thinking would be you know this is, I'm kind of just toying with a lot of next step questions of like, do I want to start a podcast? Do I want to start a podcast in a van by a stream? <laughs> I've been strangely, I don't know, do you watch Twitch, any of these Twitch streams by any chance? I've only heard of it, yeah, I'm not on Twitch. I got sucked into like a Twitch rabbit hole the other night, which I was like, what's this fucking Twitch? Because of the whole like, that guy Hassan, who's used to be in TYT and then he bought a house and people went, you know, apeshit. And so I was like, okay, what's going on on Twitch that you can buy like a, you know, multi-million dollar like a three million dollar house like i want to see what's going on on twitch he's got, cat, he's got that cats and back money right so i was like what's happening on twitch and i went on twitch and it was like it was just it's just like either weird um gamers it's a lot of gamers and then it's a lot of like women doing sexy asmr and like but you're you're literally doing 10 hour streams like they're alive for hours and hours what's, what's asmr it's that weird where you're like like doing weird like sounds and stuff that's supposed to like stimulate some sort of weird thing and like relax people but it's just like fake sexy i don't know i don't understand but they're it. doing it in bikinis or dressed as furries yeah, exactly exactly um, <laughs> exactly. um it's like <laughs> but you're like it is just sexy it's just like yeah. fake sex work all the only fans women are going to be doing Twitch at least stuff. well they they reverse they reverse the thing with only fans they're going to keep allowing oh. sexual content which is which is great i mean i'm not attached either way but okay great yeah. <laughs> yeah. only fans not the only game in town it wouldn't it wouldn't really one way or the other wouldn't have bothered me Oh, they reversed it because I hear people still. I to me, I still was reading people like, ah, this is ruining our lives. Yeah, I think just today I saw they're gonna allow can continue to allow this sexually explicit content. Hey, she's like, that's long enough. Okay, this is gonna end. <laughs> yeah, I right. I need my time on the mic. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah, we are coming up on an hour fifteen, Jennifer. So if you just want to <laughs> tell people where to find you and, um, yeah. You know your final thoughts. This has been awesome. I really, I really loved having you on, and I hope we can, you know, collaborate again and keep yeah, in touch. Absolutely. This is Luna. 
This is Luna, Luna Moon. Um, I am at uh, Jen Jaja on all the socials. You can find me there. I am definitely uh, still doing, like I said, some Zoom shows, some shows here and there. So I'll post, I post them there. And like, I'm hoping to get in the band and run around the country and maybe like go on tour and do some stuff. But, you know, it's all like as, it's all unfolding in real time. Kind of up in the air, yeah. You're. I'm, I'm kind of feeling like there's these van vibes. I, I feel like this is kind of the direction you're going to be moving in. Yeah, this is the direction. I've decided this is the direction we're going there. Because you know what? Also, it's like, also like, can I do it? I feel like I've like I've set myself this challenge. Like, can I live with six outfits? Can I only have two? You know what I mean? Because you're not. Your life is very when you live in a van. So I'm. Yeah. Like, what what is it like i talk all this shit about capitalism but like then i own 22 pairs of shoes so what's the deal like what <laughs> where do we where do we come to um where does this all you know where does the rubber meet the road so i am right that we're gonna see what 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 it's like to live uh what it's like to live a little more like on the on the land yeah maybe maybe a little off the grid off the grid, yes. I think it yeah. would be an interesting pursuit. Plus, I haven't seen much of the country, to be honest. Like, you know, Have you spent much time here in New England? I have not. Um, you know, you fly somewhere, you see a show, you see the town for a day or two, and then you take off. So it's like I haven't really seen a lot of the U.S. And I kind of want to, you know, I, I feel like this is a, there's a window right now to see, like, what's really happening on the ground. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a good time to do it. Definitely inform my work. Oh, God, slice of life everywhere. And you'll meet all kinds of interesting people. Um, yeah, my buddy Reed, who I do a show with once a month, the Four Horsemen, he's a truck driver. So he's all over New Mexico, Utah, California, out that neck of the woods. And um, yeah, it's a uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful country out there. A lot of cool people to meet. Well, Jennifer, this was uh, this was a lot of fun. And, you know, I appreciate your time and really enjoyed talking to you. And I'm dropping the link for the um, for the Zoom show this the fundraiser this Friday. So I'll like I'll, I'll drop that. I'll, maybe you can retweet it for me. Or yeah, something. tweet tweet that out. I'll definitely retweet that and, and send it to uh, my network and all my friends in Russia. I got Russians who have lots of money. Perfect. And they don't they don't know what to do with it. So maybe they want to invest. Maybe. <laughs> maybe they want to invest in a venue. They want to put make a venue more accessible. Maybe they want to do that. Maybe. But if it's dissident journalists, Putin will not want to do that, okay? He's not so big on those people. It's not so much that the that Vladimir Putin has ever killed anybody. From what I understand, Jennifer, the dissident journalists in Russia like the way rat poison tastes in their tea. Okay? They do. That's just like, the, just like the people the Israelis are murdering. So, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We could do a whole show on that. I've, I've done extensive research on the Mossad and all their greatest hits. So we could talk. I, I'm into all that shit. Intelligence, CIA, Mossad, MI5. Yeah. That stuff fascinates me. But we could we could do a show on that sometime. All right. Jennifer, Jaja, thank you so much for your time. And, uh, thank you so much. Keep so in touch. Yeah, everyone. Thanks for tuning in and your questions. We appreciated reading them. And. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to this channel, what in the fuck are you doing? Click subscribe, like all our stuff, follow me on socials, follow Jennifer on all her socials. Take care of yourselves. 
Peace and love to everybody. Rest in peace, Charlie Watts from the Rolling Stones. I'll be listening to some of that tonight. And we love you all. Take care. Peace out.